Welcome back to another week. Let's discuss with Meg Duke, where we talk about some things perinatal and all things mental health this week. I am so excited. I have stalked somebody again on Instagram because I read their book and I was very excited about it. So Chelsea is a health and science journalist, mother brain, how neuroscience is rewiring. No, excuse me, rewriting. Ha! Mother brain. It's happening already. Rewriting. The Story of Parenthood is her first book out from Henry Holton Company. It was supported by a grant from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation Program for the Public Understanding of Science, Technology, and Economics. Chelsea lives in Maine with her husband and two kids. Everybody, please welcome Chelsea. Thank you for having me, Meg. I'm so glad to be with you. Such a pleasure. And I just loved reading that about... um, yeah, being being sponsored by a science foundation, science, technology, and, and, and economics, and how important that is to in, improve public understanding of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, um, you know, it's an important grant, and I was really glad to to have that support for this project. It was a good, I think, endorsement of like the the need for this kind of book. Absolutely. Yes. So I, I'll just jump right in. How did you get into journalism? Yeah, I I um I started college as a pre-med major and then kind of quickly realized that um I I loved to write and um and and that was really where my heart was and um and I I fortunately was at a school that had a very good journalism program and I switched majors and sort of instantly realized that's where I was supposed to be and so I I studied journalism in college and then um got up my first newspaper job in the fall after I graduated at the Concord Monitor, which is a small but really um, sort of well-known newspaper in New Hampshire that um, has been known for both its political coverage and also its narrative storytelling. And that's um, where I found my my passion really for, for storytelling. And so I, I, I worked for newspapers for, um, you know, I, for the next uh, 15 years or so, and then, um, eventually was an editor here at the newspaper in Maine near where I live. And, and, um, I left that job in 2017 after my second son was born to be a freelancer and, um, eventually to write this book. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, absolutely. And I love that too, with the narrative storytelling, there's a, there's a type of modality of therapy called narrative therapy. And um, I am not, I'm not an expert in it, but I do love the opportunity to let somebody kind of tell their story and and approach the interactions that way. So that's really lovely. What a great story. And gosh, so you've been all over New England. That sounds just the most beautiful place. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I worked in New Hampshire and and, um, in Philadelphia and Boston and Maine. That's Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Yes. Maine is on my bucket list. I would love to go. Sounds lovely. Maybe a little cold. Maybe a little cold. Yeah. It has. Just don't come in March and April. The other time is beautiful. (laughs) Fair enough. I love it. So, so tell me what really sparked the idea to write the book, Mother Brain? Mm, I mean, I, I came from my own struggle in my early postpartum period. I really was, my, my first son was born in 2015 and he was on the small side and I was just really overwhelmed with 
worry and um, worried not just about his growth and well-being in my own capacity to be a mom, but also worried about the worry itself and um, went looking for answers that, you know, the words that could kind of help me to put my own experience into context and really started looking at the research of maternal anxiety. Um, and that led me to this kind of broader idea that the brain changes in pregnancy in the postpartum period, and not just for the one in five people who experience postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, but for everyone. And um, I I found a lot of reassurance in the, the science of the parental brain, and it led me to this question of, why aren't we talking about this? Why, why isn't it part of uh, prenatal education and the broader cultural conversation about what it means to be a parent. And in 2018, I wrote a magazine story on that topic for the Boston Globe. And that was really about the maternal brain science specifically and my own experience. And um, and it went viral. It really like got a huge readership and a huge response from people and I had already been thinking about possibly writing a book, but that really convinced me that people need this information and there's an audience for it and I should put my focus there. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. And that's wonderful. That article in the Boston Globe was kind of like, here is your sign. If you were thinking about doing it, here it is. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it it was like proof of concept in a sense that like, you know, it's so scary to put it out there to not really know you know, my own like personal struggle, how, how much people would relate to it. And, and they did. And, um, it was pretty overwhelming and really gratifying and, and also enraging in, in the sense that, you know, I was already mad that like how I felt like I had sort of been failed it by not having this information. And turns out there's lots of other people who are mad too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I, in your book, you talk, um, you quote Schmidt and talking about kind of the distinct developmental stage with long lasting effects. And I, I don't think people really consider like, oh, you're pregnant. Oh, you've popped the baby out. You're done. It's almost, a, it's almost like a medical model of like your ankle was broken and now your ankle's not broken. So you're fine. But also we do rehab, we do physical therapy. We do things for people when they have yeah, a fracture or something. Yeah. I don't feel like there's been a, a real awareness of like that matrescence, right? Where we yeah, right. it's a new stage. I love right. reading about that in your book. Yeah. I mean, there's a complete care cliff <laughs> that happens at childbirth. You know, we're really intensely um as you know tracked and studied and we have so many doctor's appointments to go to in those final months of pregnancy and and then our baby's born and we go home and we have one six-week appointment that's standard and it's other than that it's a complete wasteland of care and um that's not how it is in our peer countries it's it's um uh, there's much more, much more holistic and continuing care and, and, um, an emphasis, not only on in office doctor's appointments, but also home care, mm-hmm. um, visiting nurses and midwives. And, um, that just doesn't happen here in any standardized way. If you're lucky, if you get that and you have yes. to seek it out yourself and have the resources to do it, typically it's, it's often not covered in, by insurance or not, um, not accessible in other ways. Um, and, um, you know, you mentioned matrescence that that's, uh, um, 
you know, that was, that's a, uh, an idea that was created by Dana Raphael, um, you know, a few decades ago and has been repopularized now by a, a few people, including Dr. Aureli Athan, who is at Columbia Teachers College. And I just did an event with her recently. And, you know, I, I think her thinking is, um, really so, powerful and was really influential to me with this book. I mean, I think that's really like the central argument of this book that Mm -hmm. this is a developmental stage of life (laughs) that, that is beginning with new, with, with, um, that pregnancy is the beginning of it, but it continues this time of like upheaval and turmoil really continues long into the postpartum period. And we need to think about that for all parents, not just for gestational parents about how do we support that process in a meaningful way. And also then like, who does it make us into, you know, who do we become through it? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because I have had, I am lucky to be connected with people in different countries and talking about their postpartum care. And um, I've had a couple of guests on the show, even in the Kansas City area, you know, physical therapy and um, chiropractic and different places and not just in Kansas City, but where they will come into the home and they will make sure that you're supported. And also it is comes from quite a place of privilege to be able to access some of those things because it's just not a standard of care. It's not expected. Our insurance doesn't cover a lot of it here in the United States. And um it's wild. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of the expression. I think somebody mentioned it on my show before about like um, the mom is seen as like a candy wrapper. And so, right. right and then the, after the baby comes out, we throw the wrapper right. away. Discarded. And, and yeah. Discarded. Yeah. And it's, it, it, you know, reflecting back, I think on my own experience as well, I did feel kind of discarded, luckily not by those closest to me, but certainly professionally right. um, it was, how's the baby, has the baby, has a baby. And I was like, no one really cared kind of how I was doing apart from how are your nipples so you can feed the baby <laughs> right it wasn't even even that question wasn't necessarily about about you yeah how, yeah, yeah. Um, just as a vehicle to continue to support the baby so yeah mm-hmm. I um I definitely appreciate that for sure and I think there's such a lack of talking about how you know our when we're pregnant we're such we are you know <laughs> vehicles for for this baby and and we're our, our care is so oriented in that way that we're not often given time to really like reflect on how it's affecting our inner lives and like our mental states. And um, I think that's something that, that this science that's really important about this science is, you know, people who do, do, do that reflection. There's lots of different ways that you can like think about new motherhood, different frameworks, whether you're like, looking at it from like a feminist perspective or a spiritual perspective or, um, you know, whatever kind of schema you bring to the role. Um, this science is, I, I had, I had an OBGYN tell me recently, someone who's sort of, I would say probably skeptical of the, of this book and, and of, of this way of thinking, say like, say this, make this point that like, there's lots of ways to look at, at how, you know how, the time of becoming a parent and this science is really just one of them and and I can respect that point of view but at the same time this science this like physiological transformation is not optional <laughs> like it is right. it is what we go through it is it is it is the 
neurobiological adaptation that helps us move into this role. And it really, no matter what your view is, how you th- you're thinking about your motherhood, I think that this science can inform it and like help you to understand yourself better. And so, you know, in the book, I like write about the meaning that I took from the science, but I think people can take other meanings from it, but mm-hmm. it is, but we need to have the information in order to do that. Absolutely. Yes. It's out there for us to consume and, and try to interpret in ways that are meaningful. Right. I understand that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I do apologize to everybody, mostly because I'm such a fangirl in this moment. I'm trying to be cool, but I'm just like quoting lines from your book. So I, hopefully that's not too annoying, but I loved where you talked about male research were pathologizing their normal biological processes and um, postpartum concerns were seen as soft quality of life issues rather than real public health concerns. And I felt I felt seen and validated and smacked across the face in a, in a good way, right? I was like, someone's saying it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was sort of talking about the, I think that was a, I wrote that in a relation to my conversation with Peter Schmidt, who's um, chief uh, neuroendocrinologist at NIH. I think that's his correct title. You might want to fact check me on that. Um, uh, he is, a, you know, someone who's worked in maternal mental health for a long time. And he was really talking about like um, how hard it's been to, to study this <laughs> over the years because, um, because women were so um by necessity, skeptical of researchers coming and investigating these processes in their lives because they had been done wrong for so for so long. And, and so, um, you know, people who were trying to do good work in this area uh, had a hard, hard time with access um, to the, the people who they were studying, essentially. And then at the same time, there were male researchers who were pathologizing normal biological processes. And so, so like the women were rightly skeptical. And, and I think that that, to some degree exists today too. You know, there's really, um, you know, where I think the research around sex and gender is in such an interesting place here of, of, you know, some researchers really trying to push, push the bounds of our understanding of those things. And, and as it relates to gender norms, and including within the context of parenthood. And then there are some researchers who are really kind of doubling down on those norms too, and using sometimes the same science to do, to do something very differently politically and socially. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And I just, I found that to be so interesting and yeah, I can imagine what that must've been like for someone to be like, hi, I'm a man and I'm a scientist and I would like to come and right. Yeah. And I think the progress, a lot of the progress that we see in the field today is from, from women coming into the field and bringing their own stories and their own questions to the work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I did like how you talked also about kind of baby blues and postpartum depression and um, how you saw postpartum depression as like, you thought of it as kind of like the flu, like I test positive for the flu, I test negative for the flu. I test positive for postpartum. I test negative for it. And um, I liked how um, was it? it was a Meltzer Brody was saying it was a garbage bag term. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought that was such a, a fabulous way of describing that. Cause I have to admit for myself, when I was reading about the cancer, what how they described that for cancer, I was like, 
oh yeah, I guess I really did think cancer was just kind of cancer and obviously like breast cancer, but there are so many types and postpartum, there's this real spectrum. And I think that language can be so important when we're using that versus just, you know, the slapping a label on something. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know a single person who has found their way to parenthood who hasn't experienced some really significant psychological distress, whether it's from, you know, struggling with fertility or pregnancy loss or complicated pregnancies, traumatic childbirth, you know, trying to breastfeed and having a hard time, um, or not and feeling the social pressures around that, you know, Mm -hmm. just postpartum in general, and then going back to work, you know, it's, it's such a process, such a time of life that's full of struggle. And that I actually, I argue in the book that like, that's like an inherent part of it. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, so what, yet we're like presented with this list, this like checklist that sort Mm -hmm. of implies that you are, you either have postpartum depression or you're healthy and stable. And, and I, I, I now like really reject, reject that idea, which is not to say that the checklist or the screening tools aren't important to some degree. It's just that it doesn't capture the whole reality. Um, And it also sends like a, a false message, I think, to people that, um, that struggle is entirely pathological, right? Like, and where it actually is very normal in this time. And, um, and so is needing extra support. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I think it is, it is helpful to be able to have diagnoses, to be able to have kind of standardized evidence-based, certainly treatment practices available. You know, I do when I have new clients who are in a perinatal space, give them a, a postpartum space through the Edinburgh. Um, we definitely talk about, it's nice to have the criteria. And also that's just kind of a nice little guide. It's not the end all be all. And I think, I think too, that's something that I've had a lot of people talk to me about in social media or personally. And then certainly obviously in my, in my practice about, I don't, I don't deserve your time as a therapist. I I don't have enough. The trauma Olympics is what I like to call it. I'm not not meddling in the trauma Olympics. So don't let me waste your time. And it's like, you don't have to check all of these boxes to have had a significant physiological change impact your life just because you're not as bad as somebody else, which again, I want to use really big quotes on that. Right. Right. Um, And so I think it is very dangerous when we, when we do kind of restrict it in that way. Sure. And there's such there's such stakes for women around saying that they need help too, especially if you if you're talking about black and brown women who you know are are uh, um, the risks are even greater if they if they yes. admit to struggling as a mother and and yes. um, and that the ideals that we put around around motherhood and the lines that we draw between good and bad mothers. I mean it. Um, it just, it, it amplifies it even more. It makes it even harder yes. to, to, to say when you're having a hard time, even though, again, it's like an entirely normal thing to struggle and to need help. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, you know, the, especially with COVID um, and quarantine uh, for those of us who did that to whatever extent and, and that kind of the village being gone, you know, the expression, it takes a village and, um, for whatever reason, you know, for my examples that I moved here on, I left Houston on St. Patrick's Day of 2020 and moved to Kansas City. And 
you know, asked me how well I've done at making new friends in a strange city during a, a pandemic. So, uh, but just generally other, other reasons for, for different things that people feel isolated or that they have to keep things to themselves um, that I'm not supposed to struggle. I'm supposed to be a mom and I right. should know this it naturally. It's a, it's a natural right. thing right. as a woman. Right. Like, I mean, it's a idea that I spend a lot of time on in the book, the idea of maternal instinct, that it is something that comes online once we're, once we're mothers and, and, you know, is this innate and automatic capacity for caregiving that is part of our womanhood. And um, also that that idea is grounded in science and none of those things are true. Right. And I, th- I think one of the things I like to talk about as well is you don't have to, it doesn't have to come to you naturally while you're pregnant. The moment you see your baby, like that connection doesn't always occur right then. And I think that really scares, a, I know that really scares a lot of people um, because we're fed this line that we're just naturally innately supposed to understand how these things work and being open and flexible to learning and developing and evolving, which we will continue to do until our children are in their 50, you know, who <laughs> we continue right. as parents and then grandparents and whatever. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's something that's really helpful for more people to be able to, to know. It's like, hey, that's yeah, not necessarily going to be within within you right away. Absolutely. It is a process. That is that is what it is. It, it's a process. And I mean, the brain really the changes that happen in the brain are are really um make that really clear. I mean, when, when for gestational parents, when we're in that early postpartum period, what the research shows is that we're kind of pushed into this time of hyper responsiveness. You know, we, the brain areas that are related to motivation and to vigilance and to meaning making are really highly active. And so we're like compelled to go to like try to meet our, our baby's needs, even if we don't have like the practical skills for doing so and to go back again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, that's like keeping our baby alive, but it's also putting us into this really intense period of learning. Mm-hmm. And over time, it's thought that what that does is it makes us better at it. It fine, t- fine tunes are the brain networks that are involved in social cognition and reading and responding to another person's mental state and emotions. And so we get better at, at that reading process, which means we're better able to change with our kids as they change and adjust our responses to them as their needs change. And um, that is like very fundamentally a long-term process, <laughs> but we often in, in the, you know, um, social representations of motherhood in the books that we read in different parenting philosophies and um, have this, very romantic view that like, it's sort of like a baby is born, you're flooded with oxytocin, you latch on naturally and easily, or the baby latches on naturally and easily, and they're flooded with oxytocin and the bond is sealed Mm -hmm. forever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it happens that way for some people, but not for everyone. And that's okay because it's actually, um, you know, our bi- biology accounts for that, for all different paths um, towards that, that learning process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. That's a great way of having that kind of 
helping people to understand that for sure. Um, I loved how you also talked about in your book about identity and as a mother and kind of transitioning, especially one of the things that you talked about specifically was when your identity is wrapped up in things like work mm-hmm. and then figuring out kind of on that spectrum and, and all of that in between. I'd love to talk more about kind of your discussion of that in the book. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, Hmm. What should I say about that? So, uh, I think this one, I, one thing that I, okay. So I, I think that we have this, this kind of way of talking about the postpartum period of that is very um, similar to how we talk about our bodies also in pregnancy and like I, the idea of like bouncing back, right? Like your body, like bouncing yes. back. Yes. And I've even seen this in some, on some social media posts, you know, of people like trying to distill the science for, for a lay audience, like saying like, yeah, your brain shrinks during pregnancy in the early postpartum period, but it's thought that it bounces back by six months. And that's not actually true. That's not an accurate representation of the science at all. Um, uh, but there's the, I think there's this idea that we do that with our identities too. Like, um, that, that like we get back to who we were before that that's somehow the goal to like reclaim part of ourselves. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think there's like value in seeking the things that brought us like joy and comfort and peace and a sense of ourselves before pregnancy. But I also think there's real power in like acknowledging that, we are different afterward. <laughs> and, yes. um, and the problem has been that so long that different for, for so long, that difference has meant lesser, right? We've had this like mommy brain idea of new mm-hmm. mothers that they're forgetful and frazzled and can't keep up. Um, and that is so damaging. And so, so has been so dominant. Um, and, this this neuroscience really shows something very different, which is that we develop all of these amazing new cognitive skills or heightened cognitive skills and that we, um, you know, connect with people differently and that we have, um, um, we sort of like rise to the challenges of, of new, new parenthood, not only like logistically and, but like at a very fundamental level, like neurally, like like we are changed by it. And uh, I think people can take all sorts of meaning from that, but I I think it's something that we need to talk more about and that needs to be studied more also. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I like that. You said it too, about the, I wish that there was some way we could just erase bounce back from our vernacular. (laughs) Yes. Um, I can't tell you that, especially the body image that goes with that and the stressors that people put on themselves, your brain. Absolutely. I, it's almost, it's frustrating already. Sometimes when I do feel like my brain is not functioning on all limits and uh, on all levels, and then to have somebody like, Oh, there's that mom brain. And it's like, thank you for invalidating my entire existence and life experience. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so let's talk about that for a minute because there are like real, documented average deficits in memory during pregnancy, but it's generally thought that they are small and temporary. And researchers have just started looking at 
whether they're measuring cognitive function wrong, potentially in early postpartum period, like they've mostly been applying the same kinds of cognitive tests that they use for the general population to, to look at the brains of mostly mothers in that time. And they've started thinking, maybe we need to like make some more parent relative relevant tests and see how mothers do then. And there's just been some very early work on that, but they, they have indicated that like actually mothers do pretty good when you like ask them to recall a list of words that are very baby related. Like they've just like shifted their focus in that time, not, not somehow lost capacity. And the animal research, especially in rodents really shows that, rat mothers do very well cognitively in later life. In fact, there's, it's like very clear that mother rat mothers have motherhood has like a neuroprotective effect on, on rats brains. And there's some indications that that might be true for humans too. There are these studies that I just love that have come out in the last few years that are using um, big data banks of, of um, brain imaging in the UK and in Australia, and they're comparing um, the brains of parents and non-parents. And these are people who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. Mm -hmm. And they're finding that parents' brains are what researchers call younger looking, that like there are slowed effects of aging in their brains. And it makes sense when you think about it, because there's like parenthood involves these long-term, constantly changing cognitive challenges, which we know like that kind of engagement, especially social engagement is really good for the brain over the long term. And so yes. um, it's, there's some thinking that parenthood, um, at least for some people might be neuroprotective in humans too. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's fascinating. That yeah. makes sense. That's kind of like a if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing with your brain. And I do feel like my brain is consistently challenged. Maybe it's, maybe it's not even necessarily something to, you know, it's not linear algebra, but it's (laughs) to bring something for circle time that starts with the letter C on a Friday morning. Exactly. You know, those are the things that I wouldn't have had to have done. otherwise. Yeah. And then as our kids get older, it becomes more complex, like figuring out who they're becoming and what they need from us as parents. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it, um, it just feels like such a, co- a counterpoint to uh, this idea that we're compromised by, by motherhood. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so what do you, what are some things that you encourage people having the experience of writing this book and, and working with people and then how do we, how do we amplify that story? How do we work to rewrite what it means to become a parent, to become a mother? What do we do to kind of spread the word, obviously start a podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I do think that like a lot of it sits in how we talk about our own experiences and how honest we are with each other about what, what it was like for us to become parents. I think that's, that's, I think the science can do a, a lot for that. And I'm, I'm hoping this book can be a part of, a part of that process. I, I do um, think that a lot of the kind of takeaways from this book are are not individual actions, but societal ones and things that we need to change at, at like the level of government and institutions and and um, 
you know, if we're going to really embrace the idea that new parenthood is a developmental stage of life, then we need to look at what we're doing for young families and for postpartum people. And, and, you know, one big message from this book, especially when we're starting to talk about non-gestational parents, fathers and others, um, is that time really matters. You know, it's, it's not just the hormonal and physiological experience of pregnancy that changes the brain, but it's exposure to our babies. It's time with our babies who are these really powerful stimuli. And if we want time with our babies, we need paid time off (laughs) and, um, and we need both, you know, all parents to have access to that. And we, the United States is one of six countries in the world that doesn't have mandated paid leave for mothers. And most of our peer countries also offer generous leave for fathers and other parents, you know, 24 weeks or more. Yeah. And, um, and we've got zero. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's a real American shame. <laughs> and um, and, and then also we say like, we need to look at clinical care and say, what, what can we do better? And there's a lot that a lot there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I just, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to come on. I've been looking forward to this. I read your book and was like, Oh, I wonder if I can sneak into her DMs and you were kind yeah. enough to say yes. So I really yeah. appreciate the time. Well, um, I just to say, yeah. Thank you. I was going to say, could you let the, let the listeners know where they can find you? Yeah. Um, so the book you can buy anywhere you buy books online or at your local independent bookstore. And, um, I have a website, motherbrainbook.com and, um, lots of information about the book there. And also, um, there's a, um, you can sign up for my newsletter there as well. Amazing. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it so much. And to everybody else, be curious, not judgmental. Bye.